Welcome to MedTech Speed to Data, a KeyTech podcast. I'm your host, Andy Rogers, VP of Business Development at KeyTech. Each month, me and a KeyTecher are going to interview a MedTech leader and talk to them about the critical data-driven decisions they make in their programs. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to MedTech Speed to Data. I'm your host, Andy Rogers, back again. Today, our episode, we have Neil Piper, founder and CEO of Luminoa. Neil, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Andy. All right. So, Neil, for our audience, you know, our, our audience of entrepreneurs developing med devices and life science tools and global companies, just give us a little bit of background on, on who you are and where the idea for Luminoa came from. Thanks, Andy. My name is Neil Piper. I'm founder and CEO of Luminoa, which is a, a med tech medical device company based in Charlottesville, Virginia, just outside of D.C., about two hours southwest of D.C. for your international listeners. We're developing a new way of tube feeding for people that can't eat and drink by mouth. My background, I've spent over 15 years in healthcare, primarily commercializing pharmaceuticals and medical devices here in the U.S. and about 18 countries around the world. Much of that time was at Pfizer Pharmaceuticals and then later Population Services International. Moved to Charlottesville from D.C. about 10 years ago for another uh, startup and then started Luminoa in 2020. And at that time, I wasn't looking to start a new company. It, it mm-hmm. came out of a personal need for my wife and I. We have twins, Safi and Noah. When my son Noah w- turned three years old, he started choking on his saliva and his food, went in for an MRI and found out that he had a tumor in the jugular foramen in the base of his skull. And so he was getting pressure on, on his nerves through his vocal cords and that was what was causing him to have an inability to eat and drink by mouth. And so we spent, you know, about 10 days at UVA and in, in the PICU. Um, he was in a medical coma. It was, you know, the hardest part of our life. You know, being a research hospital, we were greeted with about 30 providers in the hallway of thinking about the treatment plan. Of how are we going to keep your son alive? And fortunately for us, we had a really positive outcome, you know, later got him out of that coma, were able to get a chemotherapy that was able to target the type of cancer that he had. After 18 months, you know, he rang the bell signaling the end of his therapy at UVA Children's Hospital. And so while he was getting therapy, he was sleeping, you know, eight hours a day, five days a week, getting chemo. And, you know, I couldn't quit thinking about the solution he that came home with us for internal nutrition. Internal nutrition or tube feeding, it's called. You typically come home with an NG tube through your nose that pumps food right to your stomach. And then later, if you're using that long term over 30 days, you get a gastronomy button in your stomach and you're fed directly to your stomach. Imagine like the end of a beach ball that you blow up the cap. That's what the, the access port looks like. But then you come home with the current standard of care, which is an IV pole, peristaltic pump, a bag you replace every 24 hours to prevent from bacteria buildup. And depending on the calories you need and the flow rate, you're tethered to this device with about two meters of tubing upwards of 24 hours a day. For us, you know, we're attached to a pole eight hours a day during the day, plus overnight feeds. Noah, you know, tripped over his tubing once, ended up back in the hospital, almost pulled out his gastronomy button. 
and you know, there's handwritten logs, you know, it's a life sustaining device that helps patients who have over 300 disease states globally and 11, $11 billion market with a half a million new patients in the U S alone. And so this is a major challenge that patients are dealing with a, a lack of portability, a lack of an intuitive approach and, and without being able to track that data and be empowered with data. So while Noah was undergoing chemo, started researching and really leveraging the experience I had at Pfizer, studying clinical trials and studies and reaching out to thought leaders and providers and patients to better understand the need because we didn't want to assume that every kid was like Noah's use case or like our family background. And so we really wanted to broaden that and ultimately learned with some support from our local ecosystem, Siva Biohub and an investor friend of mine that, you know, we had a real opportunity to make a difference. And the whole premise of starting this was not to create a profitable company. It was really driven because we saw a lot of kids with this need and figured, you know, when life's out of your control, try to find the controllables. And this was it. And uh, really leaned into that. When Noah rang the bell at UVA, there was a rocket ship. And we talked a lot about space. So I merged Lumination, the measure of light with Noah's name, Luminoa, to create a brighter future for people like him and, you know, kids and adults to create a better, brighter future uh, for 2 being. That's uh, such a great story, Neil. And we were talking before we started recording about, you know, just another personal story. And sometimes that's what it takes to really like get things going, you know, just the passion to change, you know, treatment and, and just make it better for, for those patients that are, that are in need. Uh, for our audience, can you just um, describe why enteral feeding is needed? I mean, I know your son was on chemotherapy and, you know, his story, but maybe more broadly to, you know, why are enteral feeding tubes and pumps needed? Yeah, so it's primarily driven through um, three areas, you know, about 20, 25% of the market are oncology patients that just can't, their ability to eat or just their appetite is suppressed. Um, so they need supplemental nutrition through tube feeding. You have a, a whole wide array of motility disorders or GI disorders that can require uh, someone to need internal nutrition, um, they're not able to process food in, in their gut or break it down in the digestive tract. And that's about 20 to 25% of the market, followed by neurological disorders, stroke, Alzheimer's, other neurological disorders. And it really hits home to a broad patient population from newborns to, you know, end of life for a geriatric patient. And so for us, we really want to uh, be able to improve the lives of, uh, you know, a, a broad audience um, of individuals that, that would need this device and specifically up front in the home setting, because we feel that sure. with improvement of quality care and value-based care in the home is, is the future. And uh, we want to be able to live, you know, patients to live more of an active and as normal a life as possible. Got it. So the anatomy of these enteral feeding pumps are you know, the, the reservoir of the nutrients, some consumable connected to a pumping mechanism, whether it's on a pole or on the body, and then some way of, you know, exhausting that, that reservoir into, into the human body. Is that at a high level what the architecture is of these products? Yeah, absolutely right. It's a peristaltic pump um, that is attached to a, a pole. Uh, you have a, a daily consumable, a nutrition 
reservoir that you you hang above it's gravity fed into that that pump and then you have a whole array of uh, formulas like nestle and and kate farms and real blends that people use to pour into that pouch and then you prime the pump for about three and a half minutes attached to your your stomach or ng tube press start and then let's say if you're a thousand calorie a day you know individual or that's your need one ml per calorie so you need a thousand ml nutrition and if your flow rate is at 60 ml an hour you can see how that then turns into a a long period of time that right. you're sitting and waiting for that that um, food to pump to your stomach you described a little bit about your son tripping over the tubing and i can imagine just carting a pole around you know as a healthy healthier you know a disabled adult being challenging let alone a you know, a toddler. <laughs> what were some of the, the fallacies with the, uh, the current design that your product, the Enlumen, is, uh, is looking to overcome? You know, for us, is the, the design is bulky. It's, it's not built for being a portable device. It's, it, it feels more like an IV infusion pump that, you know, is a larger device built for a hospital setting with loud alarms and it, it looks like a hospital device. And so when you walk into someone's home, right. you, you know, you see a person for a medical condition, not for the incredible contributions that they can contribute to the world. And so, so one is bulky Two, it, it needs to be gravity fed to, to be able to deliver nutrition. And then there's, you know, a long tubing set of about two meters that, you're then you have to pump all that nutrition and air out of that tubing. The other issue was just no no data tracking. So, you know, you've got a life-sustaining device and you've got nurses in and out of the house, different caregivers, and you're tired, you're sleepy, you're doing the best you can to help as a caregiver or to take care of yourself even with other treatments that you have going on. And you forget when you last gave a feed and Malnutrition represents over a $50 billion burden in the health system in the U.S. You know, many patients end up readmitted because their body weight drops, which imagine now a patient who has cancer is immunocompromised now is being readmitted and they're, they're malnourished. And so those are really the three major problems that we uh, set out to solve and where, where there's gaps in the current technology. It's just been decades since we've seen any real innovation in this space. Yeah, why do you think that is? I mean, because um, you know, we we are seeing here at Keytech quite a bit of work in large volume subcutaneous at home, you know, body worn devices. You see, you know, Beckton Dickinson launches these West Pharmaceutical launches them. You know, other patch pumps, right? They're out there. What? Why is enteral feeding lagging? Do you think? I I think part of it is potentially because of of reimbursement. In addition, uh, some of the big players in the space. Uh, this is one component of many devices that that they have that's part of the issue we were just you know recently at the Ole foundation summit in st louis which brings together industry and and patients and companies uh, and clinicians together patients have been sharing with companies their needs and what needs to be changed and their feelings were that they they don't feel like you know companies have been listening to date and so I think, you know, in some spaces, if it's not broke, you know, don't fix it as well. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it was interesting for us as, as a caregiver coming home with a son that needed this technology. We were extremely grateful that we had a technology to keep him alive. And, and it did exactly that. 
And I think there's times and you probably see this time and time again, as mentioned, Andy, you know, with, with founders that you find on the show is that sometimes it takes a user or someone experiencing a pain point personally to really drive that innovation and to have that passion to go through the grind of a startup and all that it entails to get that to push forward. And, and I think that's certainly the case in, in the internal nutrition space. So tell us a little bit, it's three years now, three years on since 2020, when you had the idea to start this company, I would imagine, or when you, when your son was going through treatment. So just for our audience, can you tell us where you are uh, in development and just maybe a little bit about the product itself? We started March of 2020, about three and a half years in, and we're, you know, about a month away from design three. So we've got a, a working awesome. device and, um, you know, it, it, imagine a click and go solution, uh, something that's smaller than, than an iPhone um, in terms of, you know, height and width. And uh, that just clicks, you know, on your waist and uh, you, you click in a, a new nutrition reservoir that can pump regardless of orientation. Our hope now is that a kid could go to school without being homeschooled. Currently, a lot of you know states require a you know a skilled nurse for a child to have internal nutrition at school for a loved one to be empowered with data and know you know what are trends to prevent some of that readmission to the hospital due to malnutrition. So you know we're creating a portable, intuitive, connected device. We're submitting to the FDA with the aim of doing that later this year uh, for a five ten k approval with clearance anticipated in 2024. Yeah, that's really exciting. From experience, I know developing infusion pumps is incredibly challenging from a regulatory perspective. Uh, now that's infusing, uh, you know, I guess drugs, not enteral feeding. So at a high level, uh, what are the differences between, you know, the, the regulatory requirements for an enteral feeding pump compared to, say, an infusion pump that is, that's administering anesthesia, for example? There's very clear guidance from the FDA on infusion pumps. And we've, you know, worked with, you know, many regulatory consultants over the years to kind of pressure test and validate our pathway. And so we've got, you know, a lot of the standards that, that need to be moved forward um, with, with our quality system and, and for that uh, submission and, you know, one thing that's unique is, is just the variances of, you know, plus or minus a certain amount of variance of viscosity of material that's going into the body and that the pump is pumping that at the rate stated within that variance. But it's, you know, it, it, there are some different standards uh, between like an, an IV infusion, which is going into, you know, the, the blood versus a, a standard of an infusion pump, you know, directly feeding to the gut maybe less stringent volumetric accuracy requirements and on the alarm side, maybe a little bit less there. All right, before we get into the, the crux of this discussion, you know, speed to data, we'll talk about the data and for our audience, just what were you trying to do early on and kind of, again, where you are now, what data is critical for you. Can you just describe a little bit about how you've gotten to where, where you are? You know, what does your team look like? What funding sources have you tapped just, you know, in three years, you're knocking on FDA's door with a, you know, a pump design. That, that's really hard to do. So just describe maybe that high-level story a little bit for our audience. Well, we, we did get a lot of sleep along the way. and um... <laughs> Well, Co don't forget about the <laughs> pandemic. You had a pandemic to, to navigate as well. That, that couldn't have been easy. 
That's right. And so, you know, Lumino was just essentially an idea and it was very fortunate, a a close friend of mine who is part of a family office um, when sharing the idea really first talked about the market. What does the market look like? Where, where's the opportunity? Because if you can't raise capital realm, an idea in a market size, then it's going to be very difficult to get sure. your innovation in the market. So I was really grateful for that support, followed by you know being in a community with an ecosystem that really supports the life sciences community. For us, we have Siva Biohub, someone I was you know, already friends with Nikki Hastings runs uh, the Seville Biohub in Charlottesville, which brings together our life sciences community. And, you know, just before the pandemic, she invited me to an event that the FDA was presenting at. I was a CEO of another company at the time and people started asking me why I'm there. And, you know, I, I said, well, I'm thinking of starting this medical device company. Well, why? Well, my, my son is getting chemo at UVA and we have this device idea. I think it could be better. And they're like, you should do it. Why don't you just start mm-hmm. something? And it was kind of the wind behind the cells of saying, because we all have ideas that pass our head all the time of how we can solve problems in the world, but that to move forward with that is is pretty rare, right? And so it was thanks to those people in my life that, that said, you should do something about this that I actually did. And then, you know, the pandemic hit, everyone, everything closed down. And then was connected with the UVA um, Biomedical Engineering Master's Program through Jonathan Rosen. You know, we said, well, you know, Seville Biohub and, and UVA have this internship program. All the uh, Biomedical Engineering Master's students lost their internships. And we were fortunate to hire three of those folks um, who were really talented and, you know, weren't able to work for big companies. They started working for the startup no one's heard of. One of those folks, Hill Johnson, is now our senior uh, product. Uh, leads been with the company since the beginning and so i personally invested the first year and then we raised about a million in seed funding on a convertible note with sans capital and prize path capital we had some really good angel investors in that round as well our plan then was to uh, to really pressure chest what we call the five p's which you know your product validating can you build this can you solve the problems around that innovation and like build designs you know we went through you know dozens of interviews of providers and patients and hospital administrators from you know very different backgrounds and experiences to you know what's your plan what's your go-to-market strategy what's the financial model look like and you know what's your patent strategy can you protect this so we put in over eight patents um today and, and brought in a really good good firm. And then who are your people that, you know, because your team is only as good as the people that you have. And then what's your pathway? So really pressure testing those five Ps. And then sure. once doing so, we we uh, launched the race <clears throat> for a Series A and closed that on a $6 million round on June 14th of this year. You kind of bootstrapped your way through almost full, most of the product development. If just a year or a month ago, you, you raised your Series A, which I, I assume is to start scaling up and you know getting through other trials and things like that that you might need to do. Lots of questions from that. I guess first first comment is, you know, it takes a village, right? It sounds like, you know, Charlottesville's a great ecosystem of, you know, successful entrepreneurs and just people that are willing to kind of, you know, provoke you into into just jumping off that cliff and figure out how to fly. So, congrats on making that that big step. I know it's challenging. Second, you know, 
we did our homework for this interview. I, I looked at the patents. We've invented, you know, body-worn infusion pumps before as well, or brainstormed them. I know it's it's a very crowded landscape, just infusion in general. So, but I imagine that that your therapeutic area, you know, being kind of late to this innovation was your sort of backdoor to, to securing a lot of those patents, which is a marvelous story. I know we don't need to get into the de- details of all of that, but um, I know that that's a key part, particularly in infusion, getting around yeah. uh, patent blocks. Early on in development then, you know, what data was most critical for you? You mentioned the five Ps. I, I really want to hone in on like, you know, you, you can throw billions or millions out there of, you know, enteral feeding to patients and, um, you know, point to stepping on a tube and showing that it's clunky and you could interview five people and they'll tell you it's clunky. Like it doesn't take much to kind of get to that. So aside from like those simple things, was there any other like data that you really needed to convince yourself to, to proceed with this? Like, what was it really, do you think was like the point where you're like, I'm doing this? It was being at UVA hospital and seeing other kids walking around with a similar technology. Interesting. And, and it completely ripped out my heart in a way that was just unimaginable, right? You know, as my first time, you know, spending significant time in a children's hospital with very sick kids and realizing that we weren't alone, we had enough of a strong amount of pain points that we knew there was a major problem to solve, but that wasn't enough to then put significant investment into it. I mean, it was enough to, you know, hire some, some interns and to start doing a research project. But before we raised real capital, we really wanted to pressure test our assumptions. Part of my career, I worked in uh, global healthcare, kind of market access and, and infrastructure development. And countries all around the world, Somalia and Nigeria and Nepal and India and, and, and all over. And what I learned in that experience coming from a big pharmaceutical company going into a different market is you don't have the answers when you come in. You think you do, sure, but unless you listen to a lot of people and take the, those inputs and not assume your experience is the experience of representative others, you really don't know if you're solving the right problem. And so you know, everyone says, don't obsess about the solution, obsess about the problem. And, and that's what we did. And so after many, many, many interviews with, you know, GI surgeons to, you know, GI providers to nutritionists to the CEO of distributors that sell this, you know, distribute this device to mm-hmm. many patients from different backgrounds and experiences and ages, it was time and time again, the three main issues. We need something that's you know more discreet and portable, something that's easier to use, um, and something that enables us to be in control of our own data and be more independent. And you know, we we have a um, a young person in our our user group who developed a GI disorder later in life, who recently had to step away from work um, as a result of of her feeding tube, um, who's a very talented engineer, you know, it, it was the same use cases, same stories as a result of being diagnosed, whether at an early age or a late age of a, of a disease. We want those folks to live, you know, the best quality of life as possible and keep them out of the hospital and the home. And so 
it was that reoccurring theme that really reinforced that uh, we've got a real opportunity to solve an unmet need for a lot of people. It sounds like just getting that those those interviews done across the ecosystem, as you said, distributors, all the way through to the you know the other children like your son who are dealing with this problem. Um, you mentioned control of your own data. What does that mean? So being able to know if you're getting inputs of, of calories, of how, how many calories a day are you getting? Um, we've got a huge data opportunity to empower patients with their own data uh, to provide better outcomes of, of their care and to reduce the readmission that we're seeing in the healthcare system as a result of malnutrition related to tube feeding. Got it. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole point, right? Is keeping yourself nourished and out of the hospital. So I imagine tracking calories in and are you considering linking to smart watches or sort of activity caloric spend sort of uh, closed loop sort of control in a way? Absolutely. That's interesting. Yeah. You don't have to go into, into that detail. <laughs> <laughs> so early days, lots of surveys, lots of interviews, Fast forward to today. Now you're on the doorstep of FDA. Like what, what data is most critical for you uh, to collect here over these next couple of months? Is it just good old fashioned verification, validation data and, you know, proving that the design is, is reliable at, at scale, that, that kind of thing? That's exactly right, Andy. And so that's, that's where we're scaling up the, the team uh, as we speak. And, uh, you know, we have, you know, over 12 contributors, you know, in, in the company now, um, just recently brought in a, a new chief operating officer who's got 28, 510K uh, clearances. Um, wow. And it's uh, been, been in this business for a long, long time. And, um, and, and, you know, we've got a new opening for a senior quality um, engineer, a quality assurance engineer, and then also hiring several hardware engineers at the moment as well. So really building out in-house talent, in addition, bringing in uh, other uh, external partners to support us. As you know, it takes time to hire really good talent where, uh, you know, we take our time when we bring people in because, you know, a company is only as good as its people. Mm -hmm. You can have a great idea, but with, without good execution and, and good, you know, experienced people, then you won't get your product to market. We're bringing in external contractors and in hiring at the moment. Right. Where are you making this product? Like in-house or are you using a contract manufacturing sort of model? Right now we're uh, in-house on the device. And then once we scale units, we'll bring in a contract manufacturer. And then we've got a daily disposable giving set that we're working with an external contract manufacturer. Got it. Got it. Yeah. It sounds like you're, you are off to the races and that uh, COO hire, I'm sure takes a lot of the burden off of you these days to, to free you up to think maybe bigger picture and, and make sure you're, you're, you're hitting the right product market uh, fit, um, which is a good segue to the last section here of this podcast. We haven't talked about this directly, but it's, it's a question. This enteral pump design is, I assume, designed for three-year-olds and 90-year-olds, right? So how did you accommodate that range of use cases and user needs? It's a pretty broad range. Yeah, it's a really broad range. The predicate device uh, is indicated for, for age two to, you know, geriatric. Um, and we're, we're targeting a similar, you know, 510K clearance. 
you know, in the beginning, it was, you know, friends who we knew get, I mean, when you're in the cancer community or you have a two fed child, you get to know other people in the community. And uh, so we, we interviewed other parents uh, with kids and then we joined Oli Foundation, which I might've mentioned earlier is brings together, you know, industry and patients and, you know, I'm sorry, they, which is, what is this foundation, Neil? It's the Oli Foundation. And, uh, you know, we were just in St. Louis with them two weeks ago exhibiting. Um, they bring about 500 patients together every year for a big summit who are two fed, but they've got over 28,000 uh, members of, of two fed patients and, you know, bring together clinicians and, and industry. And so we were able to really tap into that as well to, to find some, some patients that wanted to provide inputs on our design. Um, we had one gentleman who I believe was 86 years old, you know, who contributed as a, as a user in that, talked to some folks from long-term care facilities who are overseeing care for elderly patients, had quite a number of parents with, with children who are too fed, and then uh, some young professionals in their mid-20s who are trying to work every day while, you know, using this technology. And so, you know, the pandemic actually was uh, played to our advantage in that way, you know, first getting that early talent of interns that normally we might not be able to afford or get, you know, from the big companies and attract them to then patients, providers, and and uh, administrators who were working remote for the first time and out of the hospital setting that we had access to um, in a way that we might not have if we started a company uh, today. Yeah, that Oli Foundation, I have to look that up. It seems like a, a great um, environment to, to test your hypotheses, whatever that is, on an annual basis, right? Shift from exploration to sort of validation of of your product. It was incredible. We we that was the first time we've exhibited at a conference. We spoke at JP Morgan earlier this year and we were in stealth mode at that point. But you know, it was us and every major, you know, person in the sector that was exhibiting and we had a book called Super Tubi Book um, that we read to our son and made a big impact on him, which is a story of three kids that use their Tubi for superpowers. And I reached out to the author um, in advance and see if I could buy some books to give away to kids while we're there because it really resonated with our family. And mm-hmm. she's like, you know, I'm only four and a half hours from St. Louis. I'll drive and I'll sign it and do a <laughs> reading. So she came and we gave away books to all the kids there and did a reading. And it was really powerful because it was the first time she had read the book, which she wrote for her son who needed a Tubi as well, where you've got, you know, over 25 kids that have this need and they start connecting the dots that I'm not just a kid with a tube with a medical illness. I have a superpower. (laughs) And it was really emotional week to be there and get so much validation that we're on the right path. Yep. Before we logged on here, you were talking about your favorite podcast, aside from MedTech Speed to Data, about uh, how I built this. And so you, you've shared your, your how you built this story, but we were also going to talk about grit. And you know, for our audience, that's what it takes to navigate the unknown. And you've got competition at every corner, you, but you also need to be open to, <laughs> to every change to your product anatomy, depending on what you're learning from these interviews and whatnot. So can you just describe maybe some challenges you've had being this entrepreneur here over the last few years, 
where grit, you know, helped you get through it? Like, how did you get, get through these, these challenges? I think you need grit every single day <laughs> in our restroom, just right around the corner. There's a, a poster. It says it's got a straight line going up and it says, this is what everyone thinks success looks like. It's kind of that vertical line. And it's a swiggly one that we've all seen as entrepreneurs. It's like, this is what success actually looks like. And it is a grind. You know, for us, there was a lot of pain points along the way. I think raising capital and in the environment we're in now with the macroeconomic environment where, you know, in, you know, January 2022, where we saw a big drop in, in IPOs and, and valuation and pre-revenue companies. I mean, that was when we were launching a, a Series A. And so, you know, it took much longer than expected. We were really fortunate to partner with several children's hospitals that had non-diluted grants to get us through some of those times. And also the, you know, Virginia has a commercial fund with Virginia Innovation, you know, Partners Corporation, BIPSI, City of Charlottesville supported us. I mean, we were really fortunate to be able to use grit and challenging economic times to find, you know, non-diluted ways to keep the company moving forward as the process to find Series A leads and investors, you know, unfolded. You know, a, a lot of people say, you know, they expect three to six months for a close in a, an environment like this. It took a lot of grit to say, well, that's not realistic given this macroeconomic environment. And so, so it took a lot of grit and you're really making sure that you're maximizing every dollar spent that, you know, if you spend a dollar, it should return a dollar to ten dollars in value because you really need to maximize every dollar to to move the process forward. But I think every day takes grit. There's hard things along the way. You got to be able to say the things you don't think you can say, and you know whether it's you know a hard decision, a difficult conversation with a, a team member, or just about timelines and you know making sure everyone's rowing downstream together. I think that's really critical. Yeah. And, 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 you know, as you say, you need it every day. And in my experience developing products as a design engineer and project manager, you're, you're getting into the, the challenging part, like verification and validation, design freeze. And if the design, the design has to work and, yeah. and if it's, if it's not working reliably or to spec, then, you know, what are the improvements you can make and, and, you know, to what extent should you make those changes just to get on the market, knowing that you're going to have to make more extensive changes later? Or do you kind of, you know, bite the bullet and make those bigger changes before you go to market? All those like, you know, you know, you, you know I have my, my kids are 12 and 11 and, and uh, seven. So medium kid, medium problems, you know, like you're, you're at that That's point right. as a company where you're in medium company, medium problems now, which is a great place to be. I mean, you've done so well so far. I'm sure you'll be be fine getting through it. And you know, engineering problems for the most part can be solved. It's product market fit. You want to get right. It sounds like you've nailed that, Neil. So congrats. That's right. I think I think Andy, to your point, is like that's where experience really comes to play. Where mm -hmm. people who have you know had the scars and they have a lot of scars from mistakes and experience and grew from that on your team and making sure you've got good coaches on the team and good players. Right. And that, you know, had 10, 20, 30 years experience that, you know, if when you get into that, that process, if something does come up, you know how to solve it and, and to fix it and make those decisions so that you do have a, a product that um, safe, effective for patients and meets the, 
the needs of patients and that has that product market fit. And uh, we feel really fortunate to have good people uh, surrounding us in the company. Yeah. One, one last comment on um, developing these, these pumps. Our go-to-market strategy here at KeyTech for infusion pumps is you have to develop a model of the system first, like a first principles model so that when you're at the end of the development and you know, you're not getting the accuracy you want, or you want to make improvements, you have this kind of system and this model of the system that you can change your parameters and understand how it will affect the performance at, at the system level. So is that something that, that you've done when, you know, in designing this thing from, from scratch, like a first principles model of the system so that if you do get into verification, you have to change design, you kind of know where to look. Yeah, we have, um, we, we've got, you know, all the user requirements, the trace matrix, the, you know, harms and hazards and you know, all the requirements in the FDA from, you know, predicate devices of, of the needs. And uh, we, we have clear sight of what's required and uh, what, what is needed for, you know, once we get into the, the you know, testing validation. Got it. Awesome. Well, Neil, hey, thank you so much for, for sharing your story here on, on this episode of MedTech Speed to Data. So thanks again for coming on. Thank you, Andy. It's really good to be here with you. And yeah, look, if anyone has any questions, fall on to shoot me a LinkedIn. And uh, <laughs> we got so much value out of podcasts like yours, you know, along the way. And we're here to support other entrepreneurs in the ecosystem. So thanks for having me. Yeah. All right, Neil. Thanks again. Until next time, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to MedTech Speed to Data, a key tech podcast. Join us each month for more ways to get the right data faster to inform critical decisions. Find additional resources on our website, keytechinc.com. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe and please leave a review on iTunes whenever you listen. Thanks.